Uh, I'd also like to say thank you to all of you who helped with the Chopped uh, events last Sunday. So uh, we had dozens of you, and uh, there were 462 people who came out last Sunday night. And uh, Justin Gibbert squeaked out a win over Emily Lyon, Christy Struck, and Dennis Chrisman. And uh, that was lots of fun. Uh, again, so many people helped out. But especially, I want to say one more time, Thomas and Regina, uh, thank you for all of your efforts. They kind of put together all the, the details, didn't they, Jason? So appreciate that. Thanks for all of you who prayed for the event and invited people. Well done. Lots of folks made decisions, and that was marvelous as well. Um, I just have a quick question, because I just would be interested. How many of you enjoyed Zane last Sunday? Can I see your hands if, if that was something that, yeah, uh, good. Um, the reason I ask is we're, uh, we're thinking and praying about maybe uh, uh, Chopped 2, and I wanted to hear from you. If you have some interest, uh, giving us feedback, ideas, we, we really would like to hear your opinion on that. Write me a note or let one of the pastors or staff members know. We'd love to, uh, to hear from you. Okay? We resume our journey today in the book of Revelation. So take your Bibles and turn there. We're in Revelation chapter 2 today. So already completed chapter 1. Uh, today we're going to start uh, with the seven letters or the seven notes. They're really not letters. They're just kind of notes to uh, seven different churches in Asia Minor. Uh, that would be modern-day Turkey. So if you go on a map today, these seven churches are all in modern-day Turkey. Uh, quick review, chapter 1. Got your Bible. First three verses. Chapter 1, this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. So please understand, this is uh, Jesus' revelation, his apocalypse that he wanted to... Uh, send out to the seven churches and to us in his churches. The risen, ascended, soon-to-return Messiah writes down this vision, and we're going to get in short order to some really wild and crazy visions that he wants for our benefit and our instruction. Uh, slide down to verses 8 through 11. The Apostle John is the human writer of uh, this particular book. He also wrote, any guesses? Uh, Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Same writer, humanly, was inspired to write these words down. Also, he was the one who was inspired to write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, two little uh, pastoral epistles. Um, John received these words. John received this vision. Look at verse 9. This is interesting. Uh, while he was exiled, imprisoned on the isle, isle or island of Patmos, about 50 miles off the Tur Turkish coast in the Aegean Sea, uh, it was cheaper than building a prison. So uh, let's just ship him off. It was uh, desolate, rocky. Uh, it was an awful existence. And John has been uh, exiled there. The Roman emperor at this time, Domitian, uh, he had this little command. Acknowledge that I, as your Caesar, am God, or die. Lots of folks died who uh, loved Jesus and said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to bow my knee. I'm not going to declare 
that this uh, goofball Domitian is God, and they paid a huge price. Verse 11, John is told, pick up a scroll and record the vision, the pictures that are about to be revealed. Okay? Uh, verse 11 also says that before uh, you get going with the, the wild and crazy vision, I have some words to seven churches. In verse 11, we get those uh, seven churches. He says, I've got some things to say to the churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we're going to take a Sunday and look at each of those notes or letters to each of those churches. Can you imagine just for a moment if this week the FedEx truck drove up and... uh, in the FedEx truck, they delivered this package, and inside was a letter, and we opened it up. It was addressed to the church at Walloon Lake, and it's not a fake or a fraud. We're, we're, we're confident it's real, and it's from Jesus Christ himself. And now Jesus says, I've got some things I want to tell you. This is how I view the church at Walloon Lake. Um, so if that was the case, here's what I'd do. I'd have Pastor Bob come up here. And, and, okay, you're going to read this thing out loud to us, okay? Because Pastor Bob does, does uh, a lot of the hard stuff around here, okay? So, he, uh, come on, you read, and you read out loud and tell us what Jesus thinks of our church. You, you, you read out loud the report card, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has to say about us. So, that's what we're going to read today. The first report card, this is about the church at Ephesus, the largest of the seven cities, the most well-known of the seven cities that he writes to, the crown jewel of Asia, that's Ephesus, capital city of Rome and Asia, Ephesus, home of the temple of Artemis or Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, that's what was happening there in Ephesus. Would you stand with me? We're going to read the first seven verses. Revelation chapter 2. Would you read with me? Let's uh, out loud declare God's word together. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, inspiring John to write these words down for our benefit. 
thank you, Lord, for preserving these words for our instruction. Lord, I'm asking that you might uh, illuminate your church today as we study what you had to say to the church at Ephesus. Lord, uh, enable us to understand where they were strong and effective, and Lord, help us to get it and understand where they were weak. Right now, we invite the very same Jesus who walked among the seven churches. We're asking that that very same Jesus would walk through your spirit in your church here at Wallum. So you come and uh, make your presence and your power known to each and every one of us. Lord, we ask that you might come and take charge of each and every one of our hearts and minds and ears and wills. We want you to know, Lord, uh, as you speak this morning and prompt and nudge, we're listening. And all the church at Walloon said, with ears that were ready to hear. You may be seated. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. What's the angel in the church at Ephesus? Let me give you three ideas here. Some uh, suggest this was the guardian angel of the Ephesian church. Not sure. Nowhere else does it talk about a specific guardian angel, but that's what some commentators suggest. Uh, others say, well, maybe this was some kind of royal official who hung out in each of these seven churches, this one being the royal official in Ephesus. Um, I, I guess I would say that I think this refers to the messenger angel literally means messenger. I personally think John and Jesus are saying to the human messenger who regularly speaks to you from my word. In other words, I think that he's talking to and addressing this to what we would call the preaching or teaching pastor there in Ephesus. But there's other options to consider. Back to verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Who is he talking about? Let's go back to chapter 1. He's already mentioned some of this. Verses 12 and 13, we see that this is Jesus Christ talking, and you get the same seven golden lampstands, and you get this awesome picture of the resurrected victorious Christ. Okay, and it says, now go back, verse 1, Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars, the seven churches, where? In his right hand. And he's also, Jesus is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, just catch this for just a moment, because this is pretty good. John is saying here, the awesome, supreme Lord of lords and King of kings, and that is who? Jesus. He rules and he reigns, and he also holds his church in his hand by his power 
by his authority. He's the supreme ruler and reigner over his church. That's the idea here. And at the same time, let's go back. So he holds his churches in his hand, but he also walks among the seven golden lampstands. He also is there and a part of the seven churches. So while he's the awesome ruler and reigner and uh, ruler over the church, he's also the good shepherd. And Burl, he walks among his church, surrounding and protecting and staying close and near. It's almost like the two opposites, isn't it? Awesome, amazing, almighty. He's got us, and yet he's near, and he loves, and he cares, and and he's, he's here with us all at the same time. So he's like the one we should bow down in awe and reverence and worship. And at the same time, he's, he's the one that will never leave us or forsake us. He's close. He's intimate. He's right here next to us. Now, verse 2. The report card comes in the mail. Did you like it when the report card came in the mail, verse 2? And uh, I like the fact that Jesus passes out the A's first, okay? So so they're going to get a couple A's here, church at Ephesus. This is where you're doing great. You excel in these areas. These are your strengths. Positive encouragement for their good work. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. Verse 3, you've persevered, you've endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Uh, you got a couple A's here, church at Ephesus. You're doing really well. You work hard. You uh, give maximum effort. And you uh, don't quit easily. You got stick to How do you like that for a word? They got bulldog tenacity. They don't give up. Active, energetic. They refused to give up when the going got tough. And uh, even look at verse 3. Even when things became hard and difficult and painful, think Domitian, uh, they continued to endure. And the second area that he compliments them on, you got another A when it comes to doctrine. You're really good at knowing God's word, and, and you insist on maintaining doctrinal purity. You don't tolerate wicked people. You test the teachers. Does what they're saying line up with God's word? And if it doesn't, you say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. And if you slide down to uh, verse 6, they even reject this, this apparently pretty uh, exciting teaching of the Nicolaitans that was spreading like wildfire. We're not exactly sure what it is, but Jesus hated it, and so did the church at Ephesus. They insisted on biblical accuracy. God's word, look at me, was their undisputed guide. And uh, as a whole, they, they didn't tolerate false teaching. And, and they loved God's word, and they loved the teaching of God's word, and they were very careful to make sure that nobody messed 
with God's word. I'd like to pause for just a moment now. And, and I recognize on this subject, I'm not terribly objective, so I get it. But I, I still would like to pause and say to the church at Walloon and East Jordan, I believe that if Jesus were to write to us, he would say some of the same things. When it comes to working hard, when it comes to being willing to serve and use your gifts, I know I'm biased, but you all are the best. You really are. Uh, hundreds of you, literally, we, every once in a while we try to count up how many people here amongst you are serving. And we got like four or 500 of you who are regularly serving and, and, and using your gifts and using your talents. That's unusual. Just want you to know, especially for a church this size. And here's what I hear almost every time a guest speaker comes. Listen close. They say, your church loves to hear God's word. I, I've, rare, almost every guest speaker says, every time I was speaking, they were like, yes, give it to me. I, I want to know God's word. In other words, you like, you like to feast on God's word. Even when it's hard, even when it's convicting, y'all like to hear that. And, and I'm reminded of that whenever I speak someplace else, and now it's like they're not really interested in hearing God's word. Oh, yeah, like I'm really spoiled because like every Sunday, y'all really want to hear and you're interested and feed me more. And I, and I want you to know we've taken some heat over the years for being uh, exclusive, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. In other words, there's only one way to eternal life through Jesus Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. But we've stood strong on that. We've taken some heat, and you guys are like, sorry, that's what the book says. And we've taken some grief from some who don't want to study the justice and the holiness of God and the fact that, you know what? Sometimes the Christian life is going to involve suffering and hardship. And maybe you didn't know this, but there's a group today... They only want to think of Jesus in terms of make me healthy, make me wealthy, give me positive tinglies, and now I can go home. And, and, and you all have said, no, no, that, that's not biblical. That, that's not what the Gospels and the epistles are all about. This church is known for taking strong stands on the absolute truth of God's Word, even on subjects like sexual purity, the definition of marriage, it is between a man and a woman. Why? Because that's what God's Word says. Taking strong stands on abortion and euthanasia. You know what? It's a joy as one of the pastors to see hunger, a desire for growth, to get discipled, and a commitment to God's Word, the Bible. So uh, I, I guess I, I believe, again, I, I, I realize I'm not terribly objective here, but I'm convinced that the Lord would say, well done. Church at Walloon, keep working hard, giving it your all, refusing to quit, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Stay hungry. Stand firm on God's word. Let's not give in to the pressure to cave. Even when society looks at us and says, uh, what planet are you from? 
And we're going to say from the planet Jesus and God's word. I wish right now I could close and say, let's, uh, let's pray and we're done. Because um, we'd all go home feeling good and encouraged. But like that schoolboy, dear Jesus, let mom and dad only see the two A's at the top of the report card. Lord, please help them to go blind and not see the F at the bottom. Um, <laughs> verses 4 and 5 uh, is the bad news, the tough love. Um, really, I think these are chilling words that Jesus has in verses 4 and 5 for the church at Ephesus. Look at it with me. It says, verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you used to have at first. Verse 5, consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. And in the warning, and if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. So, uh, Question, who's writing this evaluation? One more time, just so we understand. Who's writing this report card? And the answer is Jesus Christ, okay? And he himself is the one who knows intimately this church because he regularly walks and is present in their midst. So he knows everything, okay? And he says, Jesus says, Church at Ephesus, you got one key critical Weakness. Um, you have one major area of deficiency. Okay, you got some A's. Well done. But you got an F here. Verse 4. And here's what it is You've forsaken the love you had at first. Word love there is agape. Agape love is interpersonal love, it's always between people. And since John is not writing here about their love for each other, we know that John is talking about their love for the one who walks in their midst. You tracking? So he's not talking about their love for each other. That's not even a part of the discussion here. We know John is speaking for Jesus, and he's talking about the one who walks in their midst and knows everything, and it's your love for him, Jesus Christ, that's lacking. You've forsaken it. You've left it. Jesus says, uh, church at Ephesus, slowly, probably imperceptibly, you've just sort of slid away. One small baby step at a time. And you used to have this first love relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's not the case anymore. Their minds, follow me here, were correct in their belief. Their hands were busy and active in serving, but their hearts had grown distant. Their hearts lacked genuine affection. Their hearts lacked enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. They had their theology down pat. They were really good. They knew stuff from the Bible. 
serious in their Bible study. They were strong in their convictions. They held fast to God's word. They defended God's word. Look at verse 4. This is huge. But they had left their first love relationship with Jesus. They lost their close daily affection and fellowship with their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they worked hard. <laughs> they studied hard. They, they had their doctrinal statement down, but there was no more fire in their belly for walking with Jesus. There was no more passion to know and abide daily with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to know this, and if you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. Loving Jesus is not just about having the right head knowledge. Loving Jesus is not just about having the right head knowledge. And I'm not saying you don't need the right knowledge of Jesus, but that's not where it ends. Okay, follow me here. Okay, this is huge. God's word, God's truth is given to us so that we can know the Savior behind the words. Does that make sense? In other words, it's not just enough to know the words and to know the theology. You need to know who the words and the theology is pointing to and who does God's word point to all over? Well, who is the key person of the Bible? Answer, it, you're always looking for the Jesus behind God's word. It's a fresh, vital, daily love relationship with our Savior that ultimately matters. And it was missing. Please understand, uh, Ephesus was a big, bustling, busy, hectic, scheduled place. Uh, again, it was the capital of Rome in Asia. Uh, this place was fast-paced. It was pagan. There were pressures. Domitian was making unreasonable demands. And it seems as though the Jesus followers in Ephesus, the members of the church in Ephesus, got so busy with their schedules and their jobs and all the distractions that their faith had become rote and ritual and routine. You tracking? Suddenly now, what started off as so fresh and energetic and, and there was fire in their bones, suddenly he'd become kind of boring and routine and oh yeah, I'm going to church, studying my Bible, been well-trained, taught well. They were serving, they were volunteering, working hard, but slowly they drifted from their first love. Their, uh, their fresh daily fellowship with Jesus had dried up. And here's the danger. Give me your eyes. When our love for Jesus dries up, and goes missing, that's when casual Christianity takes its place. And now rote and routine and ritual and token gifts and I don't feel like serving. Oh, I'm tired today. I don't think I'm going to church. I don't feel like worshiping with those hypocrites. Uh, not much prayer, justifying sin just around the bend. You understand the problem? As soon as you get here, it takes you in a really bad direction. 
It's the life-changing love of Jesus flowing in us that daily recharges our spiritual batteries. It's the life-changing, daily abiding with Christ that refills our spiritual tanks. It's the love for Jesus that causes me on Monday and Thursday, and matter of fact, every day, I'm singing to Jesus all week long songs of worship. Really? You do that other than just Sunday morning? You better believe it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the love of Jesus flowing in us that motivates us to share our faith. How could I not share about my best friend, the one I'm talking to all day long? How could I not talk to people around me about what's changed my life? It's the love of Jesus that motivates us to serve and use our gifts and get out of the stands and get in the game. Honestly, it's the love of Jesus flowing in me that motivates me to give sacrificially to his church and his kingdom and not just tip him occasionally, like I do a waitress. It's the love of Jesus that makes me want to fight that pet-entangling sin. And by the way, every one of us has one or two. Yours might not be real public. Yours might be a little more acceptable. But you just need to know all of us have sins that are stubborn. And it's the love of Jesus flowing in us that makes us fight and want to get off the ground and get up and do the U-turn and go get back right with Christ. So, that's the F. <laughs> That's the bad news for the church at Ephesus. So uh, what's the solution to cold, sterile, routine Christianity? What do you do if you find that your love is lacking, it's missing in action, it's gone? Um, I'm pleased to report that verse 5 gives us the solutions. From Jesus, verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. Here's the answer. Consider how far you've fallen. Stop. Consider church at Ephesus, follower of Jesus, how far you've fallen. Think back to the day when there was fire in your bones for Jesus. Think back to the days when living daily for Jesus was alive and fresh and Jesus was the passion of your life. You couldn't imagine going an hour without thinking about Jesus. Think back to those days and now compare it to where you're at. And basically he's saying, how you doing? <laughs> when you think back to that's where you were at and where you are today, Consider, recall, stir up the memory bank and remember what it was like when your love and your zeal for Jesus was strong and overflowing. That's the first thing. Go back to verse 5. Second, consider how far you've fallen. Then he uses this R word there. You want to say it with me? Repent. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Repent. Okay, now tell them back. Repent. I'll repent. You repent. <laughs> okay, you know what repent means? Okay, you ready? Do the U-turn and do it now. 
have a change of mind, have a change of heart, recognize you've been going the wrong way, and now go the other way. Make sense? You've been going the wrong way. Things are getting ugly, sterile, cold, casual, routine, dull, boring. Do Go the other way, because that's a bad way to keep going. This dead, cold, going through the motions, religious ritual, it's a sad excuse for what a Jesus follower should be. It really is. That, that's not what it's all about. Matter of fact, look at verse 5. He keeps going. He says, if you don't repent, if you don't do a 180 here, your light, your witness, your testimony is going to be snuffed out. Got that little light going and people are watching you and seeing Jesus in you. You keep going that way, there's going to be no shining bright for Jesus. And your light's gone. Why is that? You know why? Because the unchurched world is not impressed with our hard work and our correct doctrine. Shall I say that again? <laughs> the unchurched Harry's and Mary's around you and me, they are not impressed with our hard work and our right, correct theology. Could not be, could not care less. The only thing that they notice in us is when the love of Jesus is flowing through us, through his church, and we're splashing agape all around, alive and fresh. And when they get splashed with the love of Jesus, I'm not sure what that is, but I like it. That's when our light is bright and shining. And when you move into cold, sterile, casual, routine, ritual, nobody wants anything to do with that. We don't even want it. Why would we think they would want it? First, Jesus says, verse 5, remember and recall how you used to love Jesus, and it was obvious. It was obvious to you, it was obvious to everybody around you. Second, repent. Do the U-turn from your religious going through the motions, rituals, and empty doctrine. Third and finally, verse 5, this is interesting. Do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Go back and start doing the things that you did when you were daily and fresh and abiding and walking close with Jesus. Do you remember when you used to go and you'd lock the door and you'd get on your face before Jesus? You'd get on your knees and you do that daily. Sometimes you do that two, three times a day. When's the last time you did that? Go back and, and do the things you used to do. You used to read the Bible through in a year, but you're far too busy to do that now, you've excused. You know, uh, carve out some time to do what you used to do. You used to make time for it. It used to be a priority. Get back and do the things that you used to do. You used to pray every day, Lord, bring some people into my life that I can talk with about you and what you've done in my life. H how long has it been since you've prayed that prayer? It's no wonder that you're not talking to people about Jesus because you're not praying the prayer anymore. Get back to asking, Lord, bring somebody in my path today. You used to shut the radio off 
And as you were driving to work or as you were driving to the grocery store, you'd talk to me. You'd talk to Jesus all the way to work and all the way home. Now you got the country station blaring. Shut the radio off and do the things you used to do. Shut it off and get back to being the person that you used to be when you were hot and fresh and walking daily with Jesus. You used to fall asleep every night talking to me. Now you fall asleep every night listening to some stupid show. You used to wake up and the first person you talked with was me. (laughs) You're not even thinking about me anymore. Do you understand? Get back to the things that you used to do when you were alive and full of the love of Jesus flowing through you. Church at Ephesus, church at Walloon, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get back that close, vibrant, abiding fellowship with Jesus? Get back to the things that kept you close. That's what Jesus says. So, um, how does the report card of Jesus for the church at Ephesus apply to us? How does it apply to our church? How does it apply to you as an individual? How does it apply to your family? I think that's a good place to go to. Or to your marriage. How are you doing in your marriage involving Jesus? If Jesus were to write a letter to us here at Walloon, what do you think he'd say? What grades would he be giving you right now? Verse 5, I want to point this out. Look at verse 5. Two times he says, repent. This isn't, you're, you're making mistakes. This is, the way you're going is wrong, and it's sin, and you need to repent and go the other way. Twice, he says, repent, if you find yourself coming up short. I'd like to pause for the next few moments. I'd like to uh, give us an opportunity to tune in and listen, because I believe Jesus, the same Jesus, is walking here amongst us. He, that's, that's what he's all about. He's awesome, and we bow down and, and reverence and, and worship, but, but he's also here with us. And I believe he has something to say to us as individuals, to us as a church, men, to us as husbands and fathers and mothers and children and individuals. And I just ask you right now, just quietly set your Bible on your lap and just quietly, let's be silent before the king. (laughs) Lord, you had something clear you wanted to say. Speak to us now, would you? We're listening.
Lord, as important as hard work and sound doctrine are, we're reminded that's not enough. And Lord, uh, we realize it's common for us to drift and wander and stray and get busy and distracted. That's part of being human as well. So thank you for reminding us what it means at core to be one of your kids. And Lord, if uh, that fresh daily relationship has turned cold and sterile and routine going through the motions, if that applies to us, would you make that clear? As we close, anybody say, Jesus, <laughs> you've spoken to me today. I've uh, fallen from where I once was with you, and that vibrant daily walk with you is largely missing. And with your help today, Lord, I'm uh, going to follow your three-step solution. Anybody say, Lord, you've, uh, you've spoken clearly and I just want you to know that I've heard. Anybody lift up your hand and say, before Jesus, before his church, I've heard. You've spoken, you've spoken clearly, and I just want to physically say I've heard you. Anybody else? So the first step is to acknowledge that You've heard, you, you realize where you once were and where you are now. The second step, verse 5, is to repent. We need to call this drift, this, uh, this straying into uh, a wrong focus and sterile going through the motion stuff what it is and it's not just a mistake it's not just being human it's called sin and right where you're seated if the Lord's talking to you call it what it is Lord that's, that's sin I've, I've wandered and strayed from my first love and today Jesus I'm going to do the U-turn and I'm going to run to the cross and I'm going to confess my leaving you is sin so Lord uh, see me today so this, this is where it gets a little harder it's one thing to realize you've fallen uh, it's another thing to call it what the Lord calls it something that needs to be repented of it's, it's sin so I'm going to ask you one more time if you are doing that U-turn would you let the Lord know that's me I'm not just acknowledging how far I've fallen I'm actually going to do something about it. I'm going to turn and run the other direction. So, Lord, see my hand right now. That's the second step. So some of you, you see how far you've fallen, but you're not ready to take that next step. Is that correct? Not, not willing to call it sin and repent and, and turn and run? Lord, see my hand. I'm repenting. I'm, uh, I'm going to turn, and, and by your grace, I'm not going to stay here any longer with this this loss of the first love for your son. And the final step is to uh, 
once again do the things you did at the first. Lord, uh, show me the things that worked, that kept me close. Lord, make it clear and obvious those things that uh, made me hot, alive, fresh as I was abiding with your son Jesus and staying close. And, and Lord, I'm going to start doing those. I'm going to put those into practice. And, and I'm going to start today. I'm not going to wait till next week or next month. I'm going to start today. And this is how strong uh, this little letter is. I think there was a call to the church at Ephesus to stand up and say, you know, enough of this. Um, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to acknowledge that these things must change. And Lord, even right now, I stand before you and I stand before my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I'm asking that they might cry out for me in prayer because this cannot remain the same thing. That's how important and vital. So I'd invite you right now, and I realize it's humbling. I realize what I'm asking you to do right now is hard and difficult, but I think it's, it's exactly what the Lord was calling out for his church at Ephesus. So um, here's the challenge. Would you stand? Stand before Jesus. Stand before his church. Lord, uh, as an outward symbol of my commitment, I stand before you. I humble myself. I acknowledge that things must change. And I cry out to you, and I ask my brothers and sisters around me to pray for me. Is there anybody else? Is the Lord knocking, and so far you've been resisting and arguing? Um, but if, if he's saying, stand, would you do that right now? Lord, reignite a holy fire and passion in your church here at Walloon, myself included. Lord, you know that uh, we had uh, some things we worked on this past week as well. So, Lord, uh, I pray that uh, whatever uh, it takes, we'd be willing to get back to that daily walk and worship and abiding and staying connected and enjoying that fellowship that we only have through your son Jesus. I pray for my friends who are standing. Lord, uh, you've told us to humble ourselves, and clearly that's what they've done. They've humbled themselves before you and before your church. And I pray, Lord, that you uh, might bless them, that you might help them now, empower them as they go back and do the first things. Lord, we pray all of these things in the awesome name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's all of you stand. There's this uh, little song that uh, is a chorus, and I got a feeling that many of you probably know it. Uh, it's, uh, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Why? Because he first loved me. Okay? So, you got a chance. I hope you looked. I hope you peeked. Some people around you stood. So right after we get done singing this little song, would you let those people who stood around you humble themselves? Let them know you'll be uh, praying for them. You're in their corner. Uh, sing with me as we uh, conclude. 
Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me.